Welcome to another episode of the Badass Women of Central Park, where every time we bring you an awesome journey of a badass woman in our neighborhood. My name is Dan Clark, and it is my honor to host this podcast and get to learn from so many of you each time. It is my goal for you to see yourself as the badass you truly are. This week's badass is Denise Allman. People just play way too small at life. They don't go for the thing that they know is good for them. They don't go for the experience that they don't know anything about. They just wait. And then life just has already expired. Like, get out, get up, get moving. You will never regret it. You'll sit eight hours at your office desk in front of a computer, but you won't jump in your car and drive eight hours and see someplace that has the most magnificent beauty. Why would you sit at your computer desk, but not sit in your car? It drives me crazy that people can't see that it's like breaking through wet tissue paper to get to the magic of life. There's almost nothing between you and it. You just go for it. Denise Allman is a mother of five and co-owner of Mighty Movement Academy, which teaches kids to safely build strength at a young age. Denise and her family are on a mission to help kids become stronger, happier, and believe in themselves so they can grow into adults with the power to change and build a better world. Her interests include smiling at people, talking to strangers, coaching kindergartners to deadlift, weightlifting early in the morning, strolling the botanic gardens while also simultaneously struggling to keep her houseplants alive, riding her tandem bike with her husband, rollerblading with her kids, taking walks with her Italian greyhound, and spending endless hours driving kids to activities and watching their events. Listening to Andy Grammer and getting Wordle in before the sun comes up. I hope you enjoy her stories of triumph from being born in a small town America to teenage pregnancy, living off the grid in Fiji to starting a family business, plus having a set of identical twins. If you get anything out of this, it should be that you can accomplish anything you set your heart and mind to. This podcast is brought to you by the Mama Bird Project where we empower and open doors for young black, Latina, and indigenous women from Montbello and surrounding communities. We do this all on Zoom by having our women have beautiful intersectional recorded conversations with your loved ones, whether it's your grandparents if you're lucky enough still to have them, your parents, a new graduate, someone who's gotten engaged. The conversations are amazing and the recordings will be something you'll look back on fondly forever. We all know we should be recording the wisdom of our elders, but we never get around to it. It's only $100. All that money goes directly to the women. It's a great cause. It's a great product. Please help us in supporting the Mama Bird Project. All right. Good morning, Denise. I'm so excited to talk to you. You did an amazing job in giving me information about yourself before this, and you have lived quite a life. So we got a lot to cover, and I'm excited to do that with you today. Um, let's start out kind of in the current place of where you're at. And as far as your business, I don't know much about it or anything. Can you tell me about where you're at with that? Yeah. So my name is Denise Allman and the business that I run is Mighty Movement Academy with my husband, um, Neil Almond, And we run it. It's basically on the border of Park Hill and um, Central Park, uh, just a couple blocks south of um McAuliffe Middle School on Kearney and 23rd. So it's kind of now like a hot spot for kids' activities. There's dance studio, gymnastics, weightlifting, um, a 
And then, of course, there's Kate Crumbs, which the kids uh, have gone to or do go to. I know there's a lot of dispute over that. So we're located in kind of that heart of what I consider like childhood development, um, that, you know, this is the most supportive neighborhood that I can imagine being in. And um, we get to offer our services to so many other alongside so many other businesses that are also servicing kids um, to help reach their potential. And you know a few things about kids. Tell me about how many kids you have again. Um, I have five kids, which is sometimes completely overwhelming to people because they're like, wow, I feel as if a wave is crashing on me. It's like, if I had five kids, what would that be like? Um, but I say it gets easier after three. So just like keep charging along. <laughs> My kids are in all different age ranges, though. I have kindergarten up to high school. People like to ask if I birthed them all. And it, yes, it's true. <laughs> they, I birthed every single one of them and raised all of them. Um, and they uh, have really kind of pivoted my life in a certain direction. Um, understanding, you know, your child has so many emotional, physical, social needs that need to be expressed. And there's very sensitive periods to bring those out. And I have pretty much dedicated my life alongside my, my partner, Neil, to helping children express those things at the appropriate time. I've heard the fact that, yeah, after three, it kind of just remains the same. And I, I've heard the term going from man-to-man -man defense to zone defense as an athletic term. Yes. <laughs> what, what is it they, do you think makes say, it doable? I think that two must be the hardest because you really think you can do it all at that point, if you divide and conquer, you can, you can crush it. Um, and, you know, just submitting is probably the best, <laughs> best thing that ever happened. Understanding that your child knows how to live their life better than you know how to live their life. Not that, you know, parental oversight is incredibly important, but they have their own likes and passions and they get to make their own little mistakes and choose their path. And so I think kind of having me being pulled in a lot of different directions actually gives it more autonomy and, and independence. And also I get like people taking out my trash and foot rubs. So <laughs> it's not so bad for me um, because they, you know, they support and help me a lot too. There you go. We talked a bit, let's jump back now to kind of you growing up here. Um, you told me you grew up in two diff very different places. Can you tell us about that a little bit? Yeah, I was actually born in Minnesota. My mom was a school teacher and my dad was a farmer. And I like to say I was born um, in a very specific place, which is just like right between some cornfields. <laughs> there is um, really the middle of nowhere, not in a town. The closest town to me had about 700 people. Um, so I, I grew up um, as a forest fairy. I like to say, because we had 20 acres of trees. Um, so you'd drive between the cornfields and there was this little hill. And now that I look back on it, it was actually a really magical place because um, my dad had found an arrowhead there once before. It There was a lot of nothingness around. And then on this hill was so much vegetation. And so they used it as a hunting ground. So I have kind of like feel like I was raised in this very like sacred place. Um, but back in the 90s, farming was not particularly um, a good way to make money. And, uh, you know, through lots of trial and error and, you know, always being very poor. My, my parents had four kids. 
they kind of threw in the towel. My dad is basically the definition of a redneck. Like <laughs> he's been out in the sun every day in his life. And at over 40 years old, they, they picked up everything they had and they moved themselves, um, to, uh, to Arizona. And that was, that was a crash landing for sure. Um, they, my mom started teaching at, at a school, which, you know, was very low income. She was used to being in a very communal school. My dad was answering the phones at a call center. So, you know, very humbled by that. And, uh, my mom by Thanksgiving, um, she was working at Village Inn, um, because, it was so overwhelming and so stressful. So, so I know a thing or two about just getting through stuff. Um, they, you know, kept the core family together, but they really could not provide us with anything outside of food and shelter. Um, so I didn't get to play sports. I didn't get to have anything nice. I was gifted a flute. I think when you are poor, people are just so incredibly supportive of you. And so I was gifted a flute and I would just play for hours and hours and hours a day because it was either that or play with my siblings. And, and that's, that's basically all we had. Um, so, so then they, they moved to the Phoenix area to chase, you know, opportunity. It feels like kind of trying to do their version of the American dream, but it started in America and um, my mom was a math teacher before, so she, she actually had a very valuable skill set of problem solving and computation, and she got a pretty good job, and my dad started throwing bags at the airline, which is not too different than throwing hay bales, um, so for him, it was actually a great job, and um, he, he had an aneurysm in his heart, and so when he couldn't walk, my mom took him to the hospital and he had like a very novel surgery at the time, which was to replace his aorta with a pig's aorta. So um, at the time it was America West Airlines, which is now American. They flew him out there and I can tell you they saved his life. And so that was an incredibly humbling experience. So he worked there. Um, he couldn't throw bags anymore because he can't really lift anything heavy again. Um, but he worked there again for like 10 more years um, because of the loyalty that he had for that company, um, which kept us very poor. <laughs> but um, eventually my parents kind of, you know, caught a little bit of a break, um, weren't living just paycheck to paycheck. Um, and so as I entered into high school, I think the the financial stress that had chased them their entire lives finally started to soften out at least a little bit. Um, so that that's my my background. Um, my husband had a different background though. He grew up um, in a neighborhood that would be comparable to Central Park and his parents were very loving. They put him in every sport and every after school activity and they were so supportive. <laughs> and I look and I see my husband and I are very similar people. And I said, what if somebody gave me something um, and I now have that, I, I cherish that value of giving kids something to make something of themselves. And so that's why we have a program that really is about personal empowerment. It's not about the kid that needs the competitive edge because he's got to run one second faster on a 40 meter sprint or a, a kid that needs to get into a higher league of so soccer. 
I mean, they do great in our program, but ours is this kid needs passion. This kid needs drive in their life. This kid needs something that just brings them and animates them into this world um, so that they can be joyful and radiate that through every day of their life, which will then impact the lives of their family um, and impact the lives of their school and community and their world. And if we can just keep building better people, I am convinced we can build a better world in the future. So that that is probably why I ended up where I am is to give somebody something to work with for their future. That That is fascinating and, and so much to cover there. What I want to focus on just with limited time is um, kind of your fitness journey moving on from here. So it doesn't sound like in that situation that you had certainly access to the things you're providing now. When did you get into fitness or, or where did that come a part of your life? Um, so I actually, my parents did not feel very strongly about college. So <laughs> they actually... I went through some turmoil with them and I moved out when I was in high school. So I, I was paying for my own apartment and living by myself um, my senior year of high school. And I was going to community college and, you know, I was a young person. I got pregnant at 19, had my first kid at 20, um, got married because I really don't know anything else that you do when you get pregnant. And uh, then I, it, it, you know, collapsed into a divorce. Um, not, not very long. Did it take that? And I said, that's it. I gained 70 pounds during my pregnancy. And, um, and I just, you know, women go through a real struggle learning to love the bodies they're in. And then they get pregnant and they have to learn to love a new body that they're in after that. And after about 18 months of being very overweight, I said, oh my God, I can't do it anymore. I went to the doctor and they're like, you have huge cysts on your ovaries. And I go, I'm killing myself. And I'm 21 years old. Um, so I changed from that moment. I couldn't do anything. When you are poor, the first thing you think of is, well, at least running is free. And so you get out and you go to run and you realize you can't even do that. So you start with walking. And so I started with walking. Um, I'm a pretty muscular lady right now uh, because fitness really has guided my life. It's a means and an end. Um, so I, I started walking. I started not having Starbucks with whipped cream and a Rice Krispie bar for breakfast every day. I started changing the foods I ate. Um, and then I met my husband and he was... Um, he has an engineering degree from the University of Florida, but he was like, fitness is it for me. I worked in the rec center um, at UF and he came out to Denver and he could not get a job in engineering. And so he started at a local gym and he, we had our, our first child after being together for a couple of years, he goes, Hey, you know what? I'm done working this front desk job, you know, a $10 an hour job, which now is illegal to even pay someone that little. Um, we had two kids at the time. And he goes, I think I'm going to open my own gym. And as soon as I got to be the lady that owns a gym, I was going to be a lady that owns a gym. 
and it took me even further. I went from working out with him because I had access to, to his gym. I had access to the, the college rec center. I didn't know what I was doing. I was just making my best guess. And then he trained me. Um, and I was like, wow, I can do this. I know the skill set now. I know how to pick up a bar. I know how to use dumbbells. I know how to like jump. I can like do these things with my body. And I just kept applying it. Um, but surprisingly, I have a mathematics background and he has an engineering background. We have been self-taught and through certifications actually acquired fitness later, um, which is why our gym operates different. We're not two meatheads um, <laughs> pumping some iron and getting kids to lift some heavy weights. We are like systematically approaching everything we do. We've written algorithms that tell us how much weight a kid can gradually use. We can predict how strong we can get your kid over time. Like everything in there is methodical and thought out. Um, and I apply that to the training that I have as well. Um, so that, that's, that's our background is putting this engineering and mathematical focus on the real science of strength training um, and, and biomechanics. That, that sounds amazing. Um, take me back to your getting your degree and getting into teaching math before we get more into to fitness again. Um, so you're, you're a single mother now at this point. How, how do you, you said you took some community college classes when you're in high school still. How did you end up pursuing and getting into college and, and graduating? What was that like for you? So when I got divorced, I realized that I was basically the, the shame of the family, the the person that didn't have a college degree, the person that had a kid and everybody looked at me and was like, she's never going to make it. People that get pregnant as teenagers have no life um, ahead of them. And I was like, no way I'm getting fit. I'm getting educated. I am going to go to the top. And I think because my mom was a math teacher, I was like, I can do that. I can do that. That can be my career. Um, maybe even further down in academia um, at a collegiate level. So I, I um, had my son was single when I went back to school and I graduated. I think I wrote three and a half years in there, but four and a half years. I went straight through college with almost no credits, got my bachelor's degree, entered to, into a master's program and got my master's degree in just over four years. Um, because I have that fire in my heart and there is nobody that can squelch the fire that I have. I will do anything and everything that I possibly can. Um, so I, I got my degree, um, as a single mom and then I started teaching and it was wonderful until you realize how incredibly hard it is. And so at the time that I had been teaching for a couple of years, I was pregnant with my third kid. And my husband said, no more, Denise. He goes, it's too much. It's too much. The 50, 60 hour weeks. Um, I taught in low income schools. I, I couldn't even imagine not doing that. Um, he goes, while you're pregnant, come work for me. And so I did. And I I left teaching, which, you know, leaves a hole in your heart because I'm not sure. I think you work with younger people. When you realize your impact on the progression of someone else's soul, it is very hard to step away from that. Um, so we went to his business 
and we turned it into a kid's business. We got to meld in this like curriculum and instruction, um, this how to work with children and inspire and motivate them and his, you know, his background in fitness and running a gym. And we started training kids. We started training ours and people said, train ours, train ours. And so we went to Park Hill Elementary and we started training kids there and training more kids there and training more kids there. And then I hit almost 30 years old, it's 29, Neil is 29. And I said, I can't do it anymore. I said, we're gonna do the same job we've been doing in our twenties. We're gonna be running a gym till the day we die. I said, we'll have never done anything. So we sold everything we had. We, we sold our home. We sold our furniture, our lawnmower. We sold every single thing our children owned. We packed up our pots and pans and our bookshelves full of books and books and books and threw it in a storage unit. Um, and with one suitcase and a backpack on each of our backs, we left the country and moved to Fiji. Um, so we had just a unique experience. We, we found something we love to do, but we felt that crushing pressure of time that you get your one life, that you can only do one thing with it. And that by the time you've worked your 40 hour weeks for the best years and the best time of the day of your life, when you get to reclaim your life, you're old and you don't have the energy and you don't have the pizzazz. And so I said, I'm not going to let the best years of my life just slip through my hands so that I can be doing the same thing year after year. I can come back to America and I can, I can start over if I ever needed to, but I'm going to do something different. Yeah, I, I completely get that. And I'm currently talking to you. I'm 42 years old. We're on a family gap year in Poland, which is amazing. And my dream life now, the way I look at it is almost like every five years to live in a different location, or um, I want to do a trip around the world with our kids at some point. And I do feel like this, just this sense of not wanting to regret later in life, this kind of thing. And, and you'll never regret yeah. doing it, but often you regret not. Um, Fiji sounds amazing. Had you been there before? Why, why, why? Never, never. I was like, people like Hawaii. Dang, property is expensive in Hawaii. And I was like, I want to live off the land. I want to be one with nature. I, you know, and I don't smoke pot, but that's, you know, those kind of people, the way they talk about it, just free spirits and love and life. And I was like, where can I throw seeds into the ground and they'll grow? Well, let me tell you, Poland does not sound like that's the place. And Alaska, it's cheap up there, but I don't know if all the seeds will grow year round. I could just like starve. So I was like, let me just look around. And I looked in the South Pacific because I remember somebody visiting school when I was in third grade and they were like, I lived on an island that was barely bigger. Um, the, the runway was barely bigger than the size of the island itself. And I said, oh, I'm the South Pacific. Sounds like a dream world. Fiji, no guns. Fiji, no drugs. Fiji speaks English. I said, what? Because I was a little trepidatious about South America. There's you know, some political uproar and some, some violence and, you know, drug cartels. And I was like, I'm not going there. And I said, is this utopia? 
And so my husband and I, you know, we sold everything we had and we got tickets to go out there and we said, okay, we can do it. There's like a, their main Island. And then they have, you know, a, a few hundred islands and we went on an isolated Island. I mean, there's not even a paved road. There's no electrical grid. There's no running water. Um, it is just like your self-sufficiency. It's got uh, 14 villages on it and everybody lives communally. And we um, got a little plot of land, <laughs> but the Fijians live in villages. The expats, they're like, let's just do it on our own. <laughs> just get our own plot, which is a lot harder. So we, we were capturing rainwater, um, the solar work during the day because the batteries did not we were renting someone's house at the time while we were building basically a shed to live in because we didn't have a whole lot of money um and planting our gardens and the bank account just was going down and going down and i i'm not sure poland probably has a a economy fiji barely does most people are living subsistence life out there um and so we're like we can't actually start a business we thought we'd be able to go start something and so we couldn't get residency a year had passed. We still didn't have residency. So we'd have to like leave the country. We went to Vanuatu and back. This is like the cheapest tickets to get out and um, to renew our visas. And, and we were like, oh my God, we have to go back to America. And we came back with enough money. We were like, okay, if we have a car, we can function. So we bought a car, moved into our friend's home. Our friends have a place in Curtis Park. It was um, a crack house that they were renovating. And because he was renovating it himself, he was living in it. And um, so we lived there. They had their pit bulls on the couch that my kids slept on. So my three kids and their pit bulls are sleeping on the couch. And my husband and I have this room to ourselves. It, it used to have a fireplace, but he ripped it out. So every time it rained, the rain would come down and splash us at night and the windows were getting replaced. So sometimes they were plastic and, and we were just so thankful to be in America. I don't even think people understand what they have, even through all of that, to have opportunity is just amazing. Um, so that's how we got back. Though. Take me back. I'm still more curious about it. We're not passing Fiji yet because I'm fascinated with this. So oh, for, yeah. for, for how long total did you live in Fiji then? About a year and a half. It was, wow. um, it's, uh, so, so I like to consider that in my life, I was born with nothing. It just basically popped up in between some fields with my parents would be the, <laughs> the modern day minimalist that we didn't have anything. And in Fiji, um, you remove everything. You remove discord. You just have community and love. You remove entertainment. You just have the ocean and your family. And you take so much away the joy of so many foods in your, you know, we'd always feed our kids first because there was definitely some days that we didn't have enough food for everyone to eat well. Um, and there was like basically a closet, 45 minute walk from us. The chief of the village had like some onions and peanut butter and stuff like that. Um, but we mostly picked like half of our food, at least off of the land. My, my 10 year old son, which by the way, it's like 
dream for a 10 year old boy backpack on go get some coconuts and some papaya and some eggplants and and so it was just a very um it took the pace of life from a thousand miles an hour down to 50 and it took the dial of time and rolled it back from 2014 to I don't know year zero <laughs> they didn't have a whole lot going on uh there that would make them developed so it, it was interesting and I I met the most advanced soul I'd ever met there and he was building ponds for villages he was gardening coral reefs he was um developing chicken flocks to give out free chicken because he was saving the Fijian people from not having basically enough protein in their diet and he was just doing it through donation and hard work. And I said, that's what I want to be. I want to sacrifice my life for the betterment of others. And, and Austin had such an impact on us that we said, we're going to go back to America and use our skill set and do the same thing. We're going to give back more than we could have ever been given because we, we have been so, so blessed in our lives. So that was one of the greatest revelations that we had while we were there. Yeah, it seems, thank you for sharing all that. It, it seems to me that so often that makes me think of multiple things. I think that people think when they do something extreme like that, that they're sacrificing stuff for their children. Um, and we were told early on when we, I remarked to somebody that you travel with kids and they're young they're not remembering these times or getting anything out of it and they said it's not for them it's for you <laughs> and, and, and leading 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 yeah and leading by example in that capacity and taking those risks and a year seems like such a long time at certain times in your life but in the grand scheme of things it's it's so short and you remember that time and i'm sure through the struggle you remember a lot of it with rose-colored glasses i'm sure in a lot of ways but even through that struggle there's so much learning and, and so much growth that comes with it and it sounds to me too, almost spiritually that hits you in that, in that sense too, when you're there and you're doing that. that way. It did. It, it changed me from someone that was basically an atheist um, to like, wow, the, everything is keeping me alive. I don't know how we're here with nothing. And I walk out my door and I am fed. Like it's, it's just amazing. And I walk out my door and there is help at every turn. Like I could, I couldn't even tell you how you're like, wow, I think the world's against me. No, the world is for me. Every moment of my life, the world is pushing energy and opportunity and friendship and love. Like everything I need is coming to me. But it, we live in a like kind of that lack state where we just want a little bit more. But like you said, through the hardship. Life is not entertainment. Life is not a series of entertaining events stacked on top of each other until my death. Life is struggle and life is beauty and life is joy and life is work and life is experience. And it, it's not just entertainment. And I think that we forget sometimes that to live is not to just be, be happy. It is to do the full spectrum of life, the full spectrum of the human experience. And through that, 
you will find so much more joy than through laughing at videos or going to amusement parks. You will find so much more out of the full, the full experience of life. That reminds me, I, I grew up, I was born in Denver, but I grew up in San Diego. And then when we moved back to Denver about 10 years ago, um, I realized quickly that having bad weather days make you appreciate the good weather days. San Diego is so similar all year round. Um, and if you're working at a job where, not like education, where there's a beginning and an end of the, the year, at least you're looking forward to something and you're doing the same thing over and over again, in a kind of a standard traditional job. It's just kind of, there's no passage of time in a way. It just keeps kind of Groundhog Day just repeating itself. And yes. you have these hard times of these struggles. You just keep you looking do. in the mirror and you're degrading, but nothing else is happening. And if yeah. you're doing different yeah, things, exactly. if you're doing different things, then you're now seeing and, and comparing them in that way. And, and, and taking risks like that too, doesn't mean you can't come back home or you can't go back to some place and do something new. So that's something I, I'm pretty terrible with change, ironically, because my life is constantly changing, but you remind me just in so many ways to really dive into that and enjoy that in, in, in these different ways. And it will be filled with something greater. Clean your closet out. I guarantee you next week, you'll have cooler stuff in there. <laughs> you move your house. I guarantee you, you'll have new friends and new community. We think we are losing stuff. We think we're always missing out and we're not getting, you know, that the comforts. But every time you shed something, it is immediately attracts something new and greater into your life. There's, um, I think it's in, it's a Japanese thing where they say, don't put anything on your fireplace, right? Women are like, got to decorate this, got to fill it with stuff. I don't even care. Maybe I'll go to Ross and find something random that I don't even like, but it'll be something on there. And they say, no, leave it open. So that you can attract in the beautiful, meaningful things into your life to put in that space. There's this um, this thought of uh, open space in, um, in the Buddhist tradition of not inaction, but non-action. Choose not to do things and let things happen. Um, and I very much believe in, in some of those principles. And at the same time, in a totally intense lady that like jumps into everything 110%. But I, I like to have that duality. How are you? Yeah, you don't seem like a person who does not do anything, but maybe intentionally, <laughs> but you have to force yourself to try. Um, how yeah. do you, it seems like you have just an amazing mindset. Are you constantly looking for different forms of education? How are you kind of consuming different, you sound very busy as well. How do you learn at this point and, and kind of grow yourself? You cannot underestimate the power of reading. It, there's no, there's nothing that compares, well, some experience. You must go out and attain new knowledge. Books are edited, by the way, <laughs> they are written by incredibly intelligent people. And then it goes through an editing process and the publishers are not gonna put that out unless that's good information. Go read, find within yourself, what is my problems? What are my drives? Like sit with the core of who you are that's emanating at every moment, every pulse of your heart, who you are is beating through your blood and your body. Find out what that is and then go learn about that. If you know that you want to learn about fitness or diet or 
running a business. Like those were some of mine. Read that book. And then don't forget that the energy is flowing across this earth. And every place it is flowing a little bit differently. That's why some places have the shore and some places have the mountains and some places have the wide open fields and some places have crevasses and caves and go feel the energy of the earth. You don't know you're feeling it when you're feeling it, but when you leave and it's stored like in the pattern of your who you are, it's woven right through you, you will just be a better person. People just play way too small at life. They don't go for the thing that they know is good for them. They don't go for the experience that they don't know anything about. They just wait. And then life just has already expired. <laughs> so I, I say read books. And, and I don't mean just go to places that are protected, like a cool, nice beach hotel. I mean, like go somewhere, go experience culture go experience geology, like get out, get up, get moving. You will never regret it. You'll sit eight hours at your office desk in front of a computer, but you won't jump in your car and drive eight hours and see someplace that has the most magnificent beauty. Why would you sit at your computer desk? but not sit in your car. It drives me crazy that people can't see that it's like breaking through wet tissue paper to get to the magic of life. There's almost nothing between you and it. You just go for it. Oh my gosh, I've never been to Yellowstone. <laughs> Which I, I went a couple of times because I was like, Yellowstone? I went to Sedona because I was down in Arizona visiting my family. I was like, how can you be in these places? Right before I moved to Fiji, I said, oh my God, road trip. I have to go see everything. How can I leave this country and say, this country is not good enough? I haven't even seen it. I got to go. Like I put through the time I had three kids when I went to Fiji, I came back and had the, the last two. I threw a tent in the car and I took off with the kids. My husband had to work. Um, and I was gone for like a month with my kids camping I'm just like experiencing it um at the time one of the kids was one year old um when we were doing that but I was like I gotta take them to Yellowstone and Tetons and the great smoky mountains and the Jersey Shore and we went up to Niagara Falls and like I was like I got to see this place like go do it for goodness sakes Glenwood Canyon <laughs> drive past the ski resorts go see where the magic is I have a cousin who says it's either time or money. You never have time or money. And I don't think people value time enough, certainly. And that's the only non-renewable resource that really have money you can replenish. You know but the No, time. Why do they call it making time? Because as soon as you set out to do something, time changes. It's so relative. You make time. You don't waste it. You make it exist. And so people haven't um, understood their their pull and push with time, right? That's why you can say, oh, year after year after year after year went by and I didn't even know. And you were like, wow, I went on this magical two-day trip and it was like a whole lifetime. So <laughs> you can you can definitely make time. 
um, a phrase that yeah and a phrase that I um, learned and, and I'm now using is time expansion and I think travel and these unique opportunities because we do have a limited amount of time but if you expand the time you feel like we just went to Spain um, for 10 days and when you're at home for 10 days it feels like nothing but I remember every day we were there and everything we were doing and it was just beautiful and now I've started doing vlogs about it so I can look back at these times and, and enjoy them myself too with my kids in the future and all this extra work I'm putting into for the documentation part of it's for me the, the best way that I can revisit it, which is just wonderful. But this just expanding time and yeah, 10 days I, where you're at now is totally different than 10 days there. Yeah, or for us, our year here, we'll always look back and say this your year in Fiji, you're going to talk about that year, you know, disproportionately as your <laughs> rest of your time in life because it's so, yeah, it's so crazy. extreme, it's so different. It seems now I'm like, wow, that's so long ago and it was so short. But it was so much, it was so much experience and so much life and so much time. Um, yeah, that's why I was like, I never can stop adventuring like you. It's like, uh, you know, I'm such a romantic and I'm such a traveler, like you can't pull it out of someone. <laughs> they are that it will chase them and hunt them down their desire to wander. And it sounds like you and I are both <laughs> got that wanderer in there. <laughs> Do you do you have a specific next big adventure that you're thinking of at this time or is on, on um, your radar? Okay, so I am actually, you know, my oldest son graduates this year. And so I have this feeling of, oh my God, time. And then I'm like, wait, I have kindergartners. It's not almost over. <laughs> so, so I have that feeling and I turn 40 um, next year in 2024. And so I have not seen South America and actually, when I went to Fiji, I had only crossed the border in Canada and Mexico. I'd never traveled to another country. I would like to go see South America. Um, I would like to go probably into the Amazon, you know, because cities don't are not as appealing to me. But did you want to hear something crazy? The Amazon was man-made. It used to be like a savanna with light tree coverage. And the indigenous people of South America started remediating the soil and planting, and it basically took off into an ecosystem of its own. And so if you want to see the power of what the unification of mankind can do, go look at the grandeur of the Amazon rainforest. A handful of seeds over a period of time with people working together have changed the surface of the earth and the destiny of the planet. And I want to go experience that energy. <laughs> I would love to go be there and just take in the awe of all of that. Yeah, that sounds amazing. I've been to, I've had a cousin who, who um, who's in our neighborhood who married a woman from Peru. So that's the only place in South America that I've been. Um, and I would like to explore way more, but the mountains, the Andes were just gorgeous. And my dad said it was like how kids draw them in the, in, in pictures because they're so pointed, oh, yeah. just, just gorgeous. I'd love to get to Patagonia, uh, which I heard is very remote, but there's yeah, just yeah. so many I've places. A... Okay. Yep. I think, we're, are we getting close there? We're getting close, but I want to, before um, we do wrap up, um, let's get to fitness and we can expand time, but let's live longer too and feel better about ourselves and, and all Sorry, this. I just get away with how beautiful life is. <laughs> no, th this is, this is wonderful. Um, but, but on a personal, um, front, I'm 
always constantly kind of out of shape and I've been through multiple times in my life where I've been in decent shape. Um, mentally, the commitment's always difficult for me in so many ways. Uh, and now I'm kind of seeing it as I want to go back to America in shape. So we come back to America in the summer. So I've got a good amount of five months or so, so I can do it. I want more energy. I want to get back into shape. Kind of general recommendations for people to make things a lifestyle. And um, yeah. to me, Absolutely. it seems so obvious that if I would have just done something two days a week for a year, it would have been way better than doing it for those two weeks, you know, every day or whatever every at the day. time. It's hard, it's hard to keep it. <laughs> So how do you, how do you tell people to get back into shape? It is really your goals. Like what is your goal? And you gave me a somewhat specific one. I want to be in shape, but what does that really mean? It means maybe I want to be leaner. Maybe I want to be more muscular. Um, Maybe I want to be like uh, faster, jump higher. Um, you, You really have to keep digging, keep questioning, keep asking. So decide what you want so you can make an actual goal. I want to lose 10 pounds. So I look good when I come back. Everything I do will be easier if I'm 10 pounds lighter. Um, So make that concrete goal. And then how am I going to do that? You're not going to do it by, I'm going to go someplace at some time. Uh, Maybe next week, I'll check out that studio. You say, I'm going to commit to a year of doing this specific thing. So for me personally, I always think strength training, biggest way to get the most bang for your buck is to learn the skill of strength training. Um, It will prime your body for everything you need to do. And so I would say, okay, I'm going to learn how to lift weights. Well, when are you going to do it? Maybe after work, that is not going to cut it. You're going to do it on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays after work. Where are you going to do it at? I'm going to do it at the rec center, at the CrossFit gym, at the weightlifting gym, at the bar studio. I'm going to go to Orange Theory. You name it. You pick that place. Where is my place? What time is it? What day is it? It's really hard to break a contract with yourself. And it's very easy not to fulfill an abstract um, dream or hope. I want to get in shape easy to get out of that one, much harder to get out of Monday, 5.30 at Pure Bar (laughs) down the street. When you plan it, when you say it with your words, you are creating a bond with the universe and it is very hard for you to break that that bond. Um, So just be very clear about it. Like I said, strength training, probably the biggest bang for your buck. Same time, also going to be the easiest to create a habit around that. And then the, the other thing I like to tell people as well as like, tell everyone, you know, what you're doing. You're not a lady, Dan, but I always tell women be that lady. When I was working, um, I was pregnant, also working at a call center. Um, and I was eating dove chocolate by the bag, heart after heart all day long. And, um, One day, I think I was eating M&Ms that day. I was just eating candy and working every day. It was pretty bad. (laughs) This lady, I go, would you like one of the M&Ms? She was like sitting next to me. She goes, I'll have one. I was like, no, no, no. You can have more than one. She goes, no, I'll just have one. I'm like doing this competition. And so I'm on a diet, but I'll have one. And she ate one. And I was like, are you sure you don't want more? She goes, no, that's fine. And I was like, I don't know who that 
lady's name is. But I was like, that lady, that lady that sticks to what she says she's going to do. You want to be someone that's on a weight loss plan? I am on a weight loss plan. Everybody knows it. I am walking 10 miles every week. My husband knows it. My neighbor knows it. My coworkers know it. My kids know it. My friends know it. My family knows it. Everybody knows that I'm that lady. You be that person. For me, I'm that lady at the gym at 6 a.m. every day. I'm that lady. They don't know my name, but they know who I am. They know who I am. You decide who you want to be and then be it every minute of every day. Don't forget it. Most people forget their dreams and forget their goals and forget what they're setting out to do every day. That's their biggest problem. It's not a problem of discipline. It's a problem of awareness. They forgot that they were changing their life. And so just be that person. Pick the thing that's so easy to repeat that you can't not do it. It would be harder to forget to do it. So start at the gym. Start at the gym. Go there at the same time, same place, same type of workout over and over and over and over. Wake up, brush teeth, go to the gym. No questions asked. That's who I am. That's what I do. As soon as I brush my teeth, I hit the toothbrush on the counter, grab my coffee, and I'm out the door. I don't even have to think about it. I remember every day to go do the thing I said I'm going to do. I love that. Um, and I'm just thinking in my head about all the times I didn't do that. And one of the <laughs> things that I run up against is I do well, do well, do well, and then I slip. And when I slip, it's like, oh, everything is thrown away at this point. Now I might as well just like be worse about it. Do you have any tips for that when people kind of hit their blocks um, throughout the process to make sure that they realize your, kind of how Has your kid ever like spilt milk or broke a plate? Did you say, that's it? I'm done with this kid. I, I can't deal with this anymore. Obviously I'm a failure. No, you don't throw away all your work. You go next. You had a crappy meal. You ate donuts and you cold pizza for breakfast. Next, next meal. What, who cares? The wake behind the boat doesn't determine the direction. It's where you wanna go next. Quit looking back at all your mistakes. You will find a lot. If you look forward and you start planning next, how am I going to recover? You will be fine. It giving up, I, I, I just can't even believe that one would mistake would make someone give up or two mistakes. Try not to make two. But like if you say, oh man, made mistake, hot dog. I'm going to figure out how to get myself out of this one. I'm going to figure out how to get back on track instead of, boom, spiraling down into the vortex of despair. I'll never <laughs> survive. You just got to look up and look forward. Make a mistake, no problem. I, have, I make mistakes all of the time. There is nobody that doesn't make mistakes. The fittest people in the world... They literally have things called cheat meals because they know they are not going to stick to the plan 100% of the time. Nobody does that. And I think when we don't see ourselves as failures, but we see ourselves as, you know, make mistakes and overcome them, we feel freaking empowered. Michael Jordan said that the road to success is paved with failure. And I think it was Yoda says the uh, master has failed more than the Jedi has ever tried or 
or the student has ever tried because that is a part of life. That's the part of the full spectrum of life. It is so much more gratifying to overcome your faults than it is to have things handed to you on a silver platter. It is so much more great. No, mistakes, why would they get you down? <laughs> why would you hold it against yourself forever? Wash yourself and move on to the next thing. Can I still do all this and enjoy myself, eat things that I love? Is there room for that in, in this total fitness? Is that person by person kind of seeing what you do best for me? In my mind, it looks like that if I love to eat out these nachos at the, my favorite restaurant, I'm doing that in a place where I'm eating really healthy the rest of the day. Um, and I kind of, it needs to be worth it. I'm not eating fast food in my car what I'm not even enjoying or tasting. It needs to be a, a situation. Do you do that or is that a kind of a yeah, abusive? I actually like people to do a preemptive thing with that. You take a piece of paper and you draw a line towards about the bottom third of it and you go all the way across and you write down under that line, basically shit I don't do. So you can put heroin, you can put smoking cigarettes, you you can put Chick-fil-A down there. You can put down the things that you said, this is my word. I do not do those things. And then you can put at the top, you can draw another line. And you say, this is where I wanna be. I wanna be exercising four days a week. I wanna go to a yoga class. I wanna spend an hour long date with my spouse every week. You write what you strive for. And you know what? If you don't go below that bottom line, you're probably fine, but you always are looking up. You're always looking at the things who you want to be. You have to be doing those things to become that person. But no, if you're, if you're basically, you know, cutting out the things that you know are hard for you. So maybe for you, it's fast food. Maybe for me, I maybe I don't have an ice cream in my house, Dan, because I know what happens when I have ice cream in my house. So I find the things that are just like, you know what, Denise, you just don't have any control. And then I let the other stuff slide because I say, you know what, I'm a, I'm a human being. I can make these choices and I can overcome some of the choices that maybe aren't the best ones. Um, but but I say, have your hard lines, have the, some things. Like some people say, I don't let people treat me like this and I don't do this thing. Create those hard lines in your life, make that happen. But then don't beat yourself up if you make mistakes. And ultimately I like to, to visualize who is the ideal? Who is the person? What are they doing? How are they doing it? When are they doing it? And then try to strive for that instead of just like, whatever, I'll do this. Be like, oh, what would so-and-so that I admire for this quality, what would they choose? Um, if you do that, you'll, you're moving in the right direction. If your mind and your eyes and your body are moving in that direction, you will go in that direction for sure even with slip-ups, even with mistakes. I've heard that recently. I really like it. Yeah, what would a person who's a healthy eater do in this situation? Do it like that and just kind of takes you out of it a little bit and, and gives you something to strive for. Okay, as we're coming up to the very end of our time here, Denise, do you feel yourself as, do you see yourself as a badass? Oh, do I see myself as a badass? Well, I have been called scary by almost all of my children's friends, which must be the equivalent of an adult calling me badass. <laughs> um, 
you know what I sometimes do but then I also feel so unlovable and so you know lazy and so at every moment I'm feeling a different emotion and yes I feel like a badass even though I'm a full spectrum of failure <laughs> and success um and I think that if everyone can look, you know, within themselves and look back into their past, they will be reminded of how much of a badass they are too. Thank you for that. All right. So closing out here, I want you to own it and say your name and tell me you're a badass. And we'll end on that note. So finishing out here, I just want you to say I'm Denise Allman and I am a badass. Okay. I am Denise Allman and I am a badass. Thank you again for listening to this podcast. Please go to iTunes or whatever provider you're listening on and give us a rating so we can do more of this important work. Please keep sending me suggestions of people we should interview on this show. And finally, and most importantly, please always remember that you, yes you, are a badass.